Thank you for listening to The Rest is History. For bonus episodes, early access, ad-free listening, and access to our chat community, sign up at restishistorypod.com. That's restishistorypod.com. The Hargan women seemed to have it all. We were blessed. My mom was amazing. But detectives would soon discover... Inside the house, there were the bodies of two women. A story of betrayal you would struggle to believe if it wasn't true. I am just praying to God, this is a sick joke. From 48 Hours, this is Blood is Thicker, the Hargan family killings. Listen to Blood is Thicker, the Hargan family killings, wherever you get your podcasts. A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Have to get 30, 30, bet you get 30, bet you get 20, 20, 20, bet you get 20, 20, bet you get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Welcome to The Rest is History. We're on day four of our great marathon, the 12 days of Christmas, or indeed in our case, the 13 days of Christmas. Tom Holland's brilliant idea to uh, force me <laughs> to, to ruin nothing, the week ruin, before Christmas. Yeah, by, by recording endless podcasts about exciting moments that happened on this day uh, over the festive season many years ago. So, Tom, do you have a jolly, light-hearted... <laughs> I do. It's, it's the jolliest and the most light-hearted. It's the massacre of the innocents. Right, which, so tell us about this. Well, it probably didn't happen. Okay, that's a good start. <laughs> and if it did happen, it probably didn't happen on this day. Um, but today is uh, Childermas, um, when the church commemorates the massacre of the innocent babies of Bethlehem, yeah. who were, were slaughtered by King Herod. And the story is, uh, it's only told in the Gospel of St. Matthew, that the three wise men come from the east. They come to Herod. They say, we've seen a star. Um, King of the Jews has been born. We want to go and pay our respects. Herod is kind of stressed out about this, but disguises it. Um, says, well, you need to go to Bethlehem then. Uh, the, but And when you've discovered who this King of the Jews is, could you come back and tell me? Because oh, I'd, yes. like <laughs> I'd like to, I'd like, I'd like to go and pay my respects as well. Um, the three wise men go to Bethlehem. They discover Jesus. They give him the gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Um, and then they're visited by an angel who says, "Don't go and tell Herod." Yeah, big mistake. Um, so they they go back home. Um, angel also appears to uh, Joseph and says, "Scram, get out of here!" And so Joseph and Mary and the baby Jesus head off to Egypt. Herod is so furious that he orders his men to slaughter all the newborn male babies in Jerusalem and the carnage ensues. Now, that's mad did, because he knows that the baby is from Bethlehem. Why would he, why would he? Well, there's a, there's a lot of, there's a lot of, a lot of questions. Yeah. To begin with, one obvious source of confusion, um, the, the day that um, is traditionally associated with the arrival of the three wise men in Bethlehem is Epiphany which is the 6th of January. 
Oh. So Sarah's done the slaughtering before he's even Yeah. So there's some, there's there's some confusion there. Yeah. Um but also nobody else, you know, if this happened nobody else mentions it. So none of the other three gospel writers uh none so Josephus who writes an awful lot about Herod um Jewish historian yeah. of the 1st century AD he doesn't mention it either. So um the likelihood that this is historical is fairly minimal. And so you may wonder, well, you know, what, where does the story originate? What's, what's going on? Tom? Well, okay. So I think two things are going on here. The first is, I mean, you may remember in the episode we did on Muhammad, uh, yeah. we talked about um, how historically implausible quite a lot of the events that are traditionally associated with the life of Muhammad are. Uh, and quite a lot of, of um, those, you know, the historical implausibilities, but they're not theological implausibilities. So there's a, a there's a kind of sacred history that gets written that yeah. doesn't necessarily obey the dictates of history as uh, someone doing their A-level, say, might understand it. Um, and an awful lot about the life of Muhammad is modelled on the life of Moses. And I think the same thing is happening here because um, there's a ki- Jesus is going to Egypt in this case, but Moses leads the children of Israel out of Egypt. Yeah. And the climactic plague... Uh, you know, Pharaoh uh, resists allowing the children of Israel to leave. He gets hit by 10 plagues. The climactic plague is the death of the firstborn. Oh, so that's very similar, isn't it, basically? So there's, there's, the, 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 there are kind of echoes. It's, it's, I mean, it's li- literally kind of mirror image of, um, of what happens in Exodus um, with this. It's kind of establishing the link between Jesus and Moses. It's this idea that um, what happened in what Christians call the Old Testament is now being kind of echoed in the New yeah. Testament. Um, what, what is what is the role that um, Herod is playing in this? Well, the, the thing that Herod is notorious for is that he kills his own children. Oh, uh, so he he he's uh, he has a large number of wives. He's very very suspicious. Um, so that idea that that Herod would not be happy to learn that there was a rival potential king of the Jews is absolutely true to his character. Um, he, you know, he's very happy to kill his own children if he feels that they're a dynastic threat. Uh, so much so that um, the Emperor Augustus, it is said, uh, made a, a very amusing quip that he would rather be um, he'd rather be Herod's pig than his than his child. Right. You know, which is a good joke. Okay. Uh, it's it's I think it's recorded it's by, recorded by Macrobius, who's writing much later, kind of fourth fifth century. But um, it's a good joke, uh, and so I think that that is. That's kind of what's happening there. So hold on. What, the Gospel of Matthew, mm-hmm. um, we could go down a massive rabbit hole here, but is it written? Is it genuinely written by somebody called Matthew, first of all? Uh, probably not, no. Okay. So who's writing it? I think we should do an episode on the historical okay. Jesus and the Gospels. I mean, it's, it's an incredible, you can imagine. I mean, but why would they have it in for Herod particularly? Because Her- Herod is the, is the dominant figure in... Well, let's let's not call it Jewish. Let's call it Judean historical memory. And Matthew is writing his gospel against the backdrop of the Judean revolt, which we're going to do um, yeah. an episode about in the in the new year. And that obviously sees the destruction of the temple, which had been built by Herod. It sees the storming of Masada, which had been built by Herod. Um, it sees the Judean re- revolt break out in the the great port city of Caesarea, which had been built by Herod. Basically, Herod builds everything. Mm-hmm. He's a massive man for the Grand Projet. And the issues that kind of explode in the Judean revolt, a lot of them can be traced back to the figure of Herod. 
And he and Herod has been described as as, as one of the, the few historical figures who's equally loathed by Jews and Christians. But he's not Herod is not originally Jewish himself, is he? He's Nabataean Arab, is that right? He's um Well, he he claims to be Jewish. But he um, converts, doesn't he, to Judaism? Yeah, he's not from yeah, a but, Jewish but, family. But but the, uh, the Judean Jewish identity is a much more fluid, much more complicated thing than it subsequently becomes. Right. So he's a kind of ambivalent figure. And obviously he's held up by the gospel writer as a contrast to Christ, who will never be a king in the conventional sense, um, who will, who will go to the cross. Um, And that is the contrast. And, you know, the, the echoes of of the, the death and suffering that surround his birth is also there in the frankincense and the myrrh. Right. that um, the wise men bring. Do you know what I'm um, going to say about Herod? I think Herod's got a very bad press because actually if you look at Herod's times, um, Herod moves horses very skillfully, doesn't he? So he's, he's originally, he's he's originally in with Mark Antony and then yeah. Cleopatra and then he switches to Octavian. Well, Octavian just summons to- him and says, well, you know, what do you say? Why have you been backing Mark Antony? And he says, well, I, I was a good friend to Mark Antony and now I will be a good friend to you. Yeah, it's good. And says, yeah, fair enough. It's very succession. Yeah, very <laughs> succession. Very yeah. succession. He's the Tom Wamsgams. Of, yes. Uh, he is. Yes, he is. Middle Eastern he politics. Yeah. yeah, it's a bit of a parvenu, but yeah. he outsmarts Atlas the people. Atlas Antony. Yeah. No, so he's he's very he's very and and I think that he has to be brutal to be successful. But he has this very unfortunate end, doesn't he, Herod? Uh, isn't he eaten by worms or something yeah, like his that? Son Herod Agrippa, but he, yes, he dies horribly as well. There's some. What's it? I'm just. I was just reading up on it. He dies. A thing called of Herod's curse or Herod's scratching his skin off. Yeah, Herod's evil. Yeah. He dies of an illness. Called, I mean, having an illness named after you is quite an achievement. Yeah. So uh, not good. Um, but this this becomes uh, for for the church. It becomes one of the great festivals. Um, the, the the innocents are accounted the first Christian martyrs. So even ahead of Saint Stephen, who whose martyrdom is on. Boxing Day, twenty sixth of, De- of December, um, and it inspires the famous Coventry Carol in the fourteenth century. La 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 la, thou little tiny child. No, I can't do it. I can't that, was, do it. that was brilliant. <laughs> that was just a that was just a taste. Maybe if you join the rest is history club, <laughs> it's not too late to join the rest is history club. But you'll listen, be able to hear Tom singing the whole thing. Herod the king, in his raging, charge he hath this day his men of might in his own sight, all young children to slay. Um, you, you honestly, you'll know it if you hear it. Um, and you know, very movingly, uh, that was sung on Childermas. So this day in 1940, in the smoking ruins of Coventry Cathedral. That is moving. It is moving, isn't it? Yeah, I know you're a big fan of Coventry Cathedral, aren't you? And yes, the city of Coventry generally. Wonderful. Yeah, I visited um, the the rebuilt cathedral the first time this year. I, I think it's the greatest modern British building. Wow, that's amazing place. place, amazing place. But also, Dominic, um, this sets up uh, a future episode we're going to have. We're, we're going to talk about Camus, Albert Camus. Yeah. And um, he wrote La Chute, The Fall. Yeah. Uh, in which he, um, Christ allows himself to be crucified out of the guilt that he feels at not having been one of the innocents. Oh, that, so, that's, that's, very nice. that's not very Christmassy, Tom. It's incredibly Christmassy. That's more Eastery, I think, Christ's crucifixion, isn't it? Yeah, but he's doing it because of something that happened at Christmas. I know, but I mean, we don't want to be talking about guilt. And I mean, that's what guilt, that's what, victimhood, that's the stuff of academic history. We don't do that kind of thing, no, Tom. It's the, stuff, it's the stuff of Christmas. Okay, well, listen, I have a brilliant 
I have a brilliant <laughs> yeah, anniversary for the second half. So if you're feeling a bit low thinking about the Massacre of the Innocents, cheer up, because coming after the break is the Tay Bridge disaster and the greatest poem in history. This episode is brought to you by Etsy. Sound the gifting panic alarm. You need to get an amazing gift. Wait, no, the perfect gift. Relax. Now you can use gift mode on Etsy. Gift Mode on Etsy takes the stress out of gifting, so you can find the perfect item for anyone and any occasion. It's easy. Just tap or click Gift Mode on your Etsy app or Etsy.com. Then answer a few short questions about who you're shopping for and what they like. And Gift Mode instantly gives you curated gift ideas based on hundreds of personas. Now it's simple to find gifts made by independent sellers for all the people in your life. So whether you need a housewarming gift for the new homeowner or a birthday present for the pickleballer, Gift Mode has you covered. Need to find the perfect gift? Don't panic. Try Gift Mode on Etsy now. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Are you looking for a view of the world that's a bit different? Hi, I'm Jason Palmer, a host of The Weekend Intelligence, a podcast from The Economist. Join us to hear the stories that matter most to our correspondents and editors. Every Saturday, we introduce you to people and ideas that take you outside the ordinary and expand your horizons one episode at a time. Join us and see the world from a new perspective. To listen free until May 31st, search Spotify for The Weekend Intelligence. Hello, welcome back to this special 12 Days of Christmas episode. We are talking the events of the 28th of December. Uh, We've already done Childermas, the Massacre of the Innocents. Um, And now we've got more death and destruction. Um, But we've also got poetry. And Dominic, we we love a poem on this this podcast. We do. We've read a lot of poetry on it. Um, But I think... You'll never get a better poem than this one. Now, I'm going to build up to the poem. I'm going to build up to the poem because I don't want to go in um, on the poem. I'll go in on the the death. So there is a bridge in Scotland uh, called the Tay Rail Bridge. And this is built in June 1878. And it goes across the Firth of Tay to Dundee. So it's a great age of engineering, of kind of engineering and architectural marvels in Victorian Britain. And this is one of them. Um... It runs for about two miles, this bridge, this rail bridge. It's kind of a symbol of modernity and of progress and so on. Uh, the architect is a man called Thomas Bouch, or Bauch, I think Bouch. And um, now the, the the building work, this is not unfamiliar with, you're talking about Grand Projet in the first half, Herod's Grand Projet. This is a Victorian Grand Projet that has gone massively over budget, as Grand Projet tend to. So it's kind of HS2. It is HS2. So costs have been cut during the building. And the architect, Mr. Bouch, has made absolutely no allowance whatsoever for high winds. Oh, no. Which is very foolish with a Scottish rail bridge. So let's fast forward uh, by 18 months or so from when it was built. And we are on the evening of the 28th of December, 1879. So you can picture the scene, kind of dark night, uh, the winds howling, the rain lashing down, very Scottish kind of winter weather. 
The Edinburgh <sighs> Express um, is traveling from Burnt Island. And at seven, just, just after seven o'clock, it's, it heads towards the, the, the Tay Rail Bridge, goes onto the bridge. At 7.13 p.m., it is, uh, it's given the signal to go ahead to kind of continue its journey. And it has five carriages and it has a luggage van. And it's halfway across the bridge, Tom. It's halfway yeah. there. And suddenly there is this great flash of light that illuminates the sky and then total darkness. What was the flash? Uh, I don't know. I think lightning. the flash I, maybe, probably was lightning. Yeah, it probably was in the middle of the storm, lightning, but also maybe something going wrong. I don't know. Sparks or who knows? The train doesn't blow up. But basically, the bridge collapses with the train on it. So within moments, the bridge, the girders, um, the train, all the people in, all down in, into they? the Tay, into the Firth of Tay, and everybody dies. Mm. Now, no one's quite sure exactly how many people are on the train. Uh, probably about 75 people, including Not all the lot. staff. Yeah. There are no survivors at all. Now, the terrible thing for Mr. Bouch, the, uh, well, he's no longer Mr. Bouch, he's Sir Thomas. He's been knighted for the bridge, would you believe? So it's the bridge building. So it's the Scottish bridge building. And uh, less than a year later, he dies of shock and distress of mind. So oh, that's him credit. That's a, yeah. Well, so it's a very sad story. All these people killed on this bridge. Now, that's not really why people remember this. Because this story, this very sad moment, comes to the attention of a man called William McGonagall. The inspiration for Harry Potter's Professor McGonagall, in the name, famous as the worst poet in recorded mm. history. So William McGonagall is a kind of interesting man. He, his family is probably Irish, and they've been moving around in Victorian Britain to find work. And William um, was a handloom weaver. Uh, so he's got no education. But he uh, loved Shakespeare, didn't he? He did love Shakespeare. He do you takes... have an amusing story to tell us about him playing Macbeth? I do. I do. do How you... do you know? <laughs> You've obviously been doing the same research as me in the Bodleian Library. No, no. Uh, I, I actually looked this up for our Macbeth episode and I forgot to mention it. Um, so he, he, when he was working at his loom, William McGonagall would, um, uh, it says entertain, but I think probably annoy his, uh, <laughs> his fellow workers by reciting bits of Shakespeare because he's a great autodidact. So um, that's what you uh, want, isn't it, with uh, a fellow worker? Of course. You, to, I mean, when I'm working, Shakespeare's yeah, exactly. So at one point, the other workers pay a local theatre owner to allow him to appear in the title role in a production of Macbeth. Um, this is maybe their way of trying to get rid of him. I don't know. Um, that but could McGonagall, have been you, McGonagall gets into his head that the guy who's playing Macduff <laughs> is, is, is jealous of him, <laughs> and to get his revenge. He refuses to die in the final act. So this guy's trying to kill him and he just won't die. Um, so, oh, yes. So, so that's the sign of a great literary craftsman, I think, and a great showman. <laughs> and in 1877, when McGonagall is probably about 50, he has this, he has this almost, almost religious The muse conversion. comes on him, doesn't it? It does. He's trying to read you what, what he says. Yeah. He says, yeah. uh, I seem to feel, as it were, a strange kind of feeling stealing over me, and I remain so for about five minutes. A flame, as Lord Byron has said, kindled up my entire frame, along with a strong desire to write poetry. <laughs> and I felt so happy, so happy, that I was inclined to dance. Then I began to pace backwards and forwards in the room, trying to shake off all thought of writing poetry. But the more I tried, the more strong the sensation became. It was so strong, I imagined a pen was in my right hand, and a voice crying, write, write. I mean, Tom, did you have this when you first came to you to write history? 
Well, sometimes I wake up in the middle of the night uh, wondering whether the words will ever come. Well, that did that, prob- that problem did not afflict William McGonagall. <laughs> no, no, it did he not. He could never have advertised uh, better help. Um, so a year later, he walks from Dundee. <laughs> it's just a funny story. He walks from Dundee to Balmoral. So that's about 60 miles. He walks over through to the mountains. To offer his services to the Queen, right? Through a violent thunderstorm. <laughs> to offer his services. And when he arrives at Balmoral, he announces himself to the guards. He says, I am the Queen's poet. <laughs> and the guards say to him, you're not the Queen's poet. Um, Tennyson, Tennyson is the Queen's, yeah. Queen's poet. So... McGonagall is outraged, um, and he's the reason is because he had written to the Queen to tell her that he wanted to become her poet, and he'd taken up poetry. And somebody, some flunky in the royal household, had sent back a form letter saying, "The Queen, Queen is Victoria, very grateful for your yeah, communication, and will follow your career with interest." And he was like, "Great, I'm on my way." <laughs> um, so um, he's not deterred by this, and so two years after this this incident about moral. He he decides he's going to write about the Tay Bridge disaster, and this is the poem that I think people agree is his masterpiece, <laughs> the single worst poem, because he's a terrible, terrible poet. So I shall, it's very long, so I'm just going to read the beginning and the end. So it's called the Tay Bridge Disaster, 1880. Here, here's how it begins: Beautiful railway bridge of the silvery Tay. Alas, I am very sorry to say that ninety lives have been taken away on the last Sabbath day of 1879, which will be remembered for a very long time. (laughs) Oh, ill-fated bridge of the Silvery Tay, I now must conclude my lay by telling the world fearlessly without the least dismay that your central girders would not have given way, (laughs) at least many sensible men do say, had they been supported on each side by buttresses, (laughs) at least many sensible men confesses. For the stronger we our houses do build, the less chance we have of being killed. That's great. But the moment you hear buttresses, I think buttresses you're a dog to know what he's going to rhyme with that. Confesses. Do you think that's yeah. a good rhyme? Buttresses, confesses? I don't think that's a great rhyme. No, yeah. Well, it's- I think, I think that to me, Tom, the, the problem there is which will be remembered for a very long time. Yeah. I think that's quite a pathetic end to that first verse. Are you, seriously engaging in practical criticism yeah of william mcgorgall's poetry well he was very good at, at prose as well was he do you have my any dear examples? readers of this autobiography which i am the author of <laughs> but dominic do you know the um did you read about um how he tried to make money working in a circus i didn't actually will you, would you like to tell me about that so, he, he uh he i mean he he, he wasn't invited to the literary festivals he wasn't. Um, no, he wasn't. So he was reduced to working in a circus at which he was, he would read his poetry and uh, the audience was invited to pelt him with eggs, flour and other comestibles. They, they were invited. So they were told to bring them beforehand. Yeah. <laughs> Got it's it. Like being on a podcast. Yeah. I hope that doesn't happen to us when we do like the Rusty's History I know, terrible, Live. They pelt us with eggs. That'd be very depressing. But I mean, a kind of tragic figure. Definitely a tragic figure. You know, a very sort of, because he's not, uh, that classic thing of somebody who's completely unaware of his Mm. reputation. Um, Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and I think because the the, the thing with the the reason the Tay Bridge poem is remembered is because the incongruity of the tragedy of the subject and the ridiculousness of the handling. Yeah. Um, The absolute insensitivity. Yeah, the absolute insensitivity. Anyway, that concludes, um, I've got nothing left to say about William McGonagall or the Tay Tay Railbridge. Well, I think you've done it justice. 
Good. I didn't do it in a Scottish accent. Um, you you kind of, there was a hint. There was a ghostly hint. There was a tiny hint. hint. Was a a yeah, ghostly yeah. hint of a Scottish accent, giving the world a glimpse of what your Macbeth might have been. <laughs> That's right. Not to say my Paddington. <laughs> um, right. Um, so uh, I'm not definitely not in an accent in the next episode because I will be cancelled. Um, what, what are we doing for the next episode? Remind me. Well, we're doing another of my um, theatrical performances because you're doing Thomas Beckett, aren't you? Yes. Haven't you chosen to do Thomas Beckett? Yes. And I'm doing Beckett. The Massacre at Wounded Knee. No. So I yes, don't think I should do, do any voices do for, that. for that. No, don't right. do an accent for that. <laughs> All right. <laughs> see, you see you tomorrow. Bye-bye. Bye. Thanks for listening to The Rest is History. For bonus episodes, early access, ad-free listening, and access to our chat community, please sign up at restishistorypod.com. That's restishistorypod.com. Hold up. 